I don't know how things hit you on Wednesday. I, I wasn't uh, aware of what was going on until I got home. And then after it all kind of sunk in, I, I just found, I found myself very sad. You know, as a country, we had another failure of government leadership. There was another peaceful protest, which, by the way, is a privilege uh, for, for us as citizens of the U.S., and that peaceful protest was taken over by radicals that formed a mob, just like this summer. This time, the, the mob didn't uh, attack private property. It didn't intimidate private citizens. This time, the mob attacked public property and began to intimidate politicians. And I could, I could find no solace in the words of government leaders who spoke because so many have lost credibility. And I found no solace in the opinions of the media who have been complicit in so much deceit. But God, but God, through the words of, of Miss Carrie, my wife, she reminded me and I began to sing and I sang this throughout the night on into the morning. Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I began to experience what it means to be thriving. What does that mean, thriving? We talked about this last week. Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. Friends, we can be a thriving people. In this series, we're talking about thriving during difficult days. Here's what we know. This world is not what God intended. This is not the world he made. We're in a broken world. We're in a fallen world because of our sin. And even though, even though God knew we would fall, here's what we know. His plan won't fail. His plan is to redeem a people for his namesake, for his glory, that we might walk in his truth, that we might pursue his plan and be thriving during these difficult days. Now, last week we learned that in, in order to be a people who are thriving, we have to choose. We have to choose transparency and we have to choose transformation. And we looked closely at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Now we glanced, we glanced at 2 Chronicles 7. And this, this morning you're going to learn a little bit more why we glanced at 2 Chronicles 7 so that we could understand who God is. Who is the God of the Bible? He's a gracious God. He's a God who redeems and renews those, those people who humble themselves and look to him. Now I'll let you know that the way we're going to learn about thriving in this series it is by studying Nehemiah. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was faced with a difficult day, difficult challenges. 
He was responsible for helping the people build a wall. As God's people, in order for us to thrive, what our text shows us is that we've got to build a a wall of faithfulness. See, without a wall of faithfulness to protect us, we're left vulnerable to the evil one, just as Jerusalem was. And so we've got to understand that we've got to build this wall. And in order to do it well, we have to have a realistic perspective about ourselves and God. On our own, we're in trouble. But... God. And that's going to be a a recurring phrase I want you to catch this morning. But God, God can transform. God can work and he can do miracles. And that's what we're looking for him to do, that we might be a thriving people. So here we are in Nehemiah chapter one. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. We're in Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through three. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them uh, concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Friends, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. God had made Israel his chosen people for a particular mission, which was to bring into the world the Messiah, to bring to the world the salvation that he had promised from the day of the fall. And God knew, God knew that Israel would struggle to remember who they were, to to struggle to remember their mission. And and so God, God prepared them for that day. And that preparation was, was to result in a prayer when the people fell away. So we're going to go back a, a, just a couple of books. So you're here in Nehemiah, go to the left, go past Ezra, and let's go back to Second Chronicles. Let's go back to where we started last week. Let's go back to Second Chronicles 7. Second Chronicles 7, this is God preparing his people for the difficult days that would come when they forgot who they were and forgot the mission that they were sent on. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, we read this. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. The people did not do that. They did not humble themselves. God sent his prophets. God sent messengers. And over and over, the people continued to turn away from God. So look what happened. Go to the very end of 2 Chronicles. Go to chapter 36. So we see in 7, we see God saying, I know you're going to struggle. Here's what happens when you're in those difficult days. Repent, pursue me, and I'll heal you. 2 Chronicles 36, beginning in verse 15. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore he 
He brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. So what God said would happen, happened, that there would be destruction if the people turned away from the Lord. So go to verse 20. So he, that is the king of the Chaldeans, took him to exile in Babylon, those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So Jeremiah the prophet said, if you don't turn, one of those prophets that they despised and rejected, the messenger that they would not listen to, he he said this would happen. He said that there would be a 70-year time when they would be in exile. And what that would do is it would fulfill the missed Sabbaths that had occurred during the reign of the kings. So all those years when they failed to keep the Sabbath, God said, I'm going to have my way. I'm going to have a Sabbath on this land. Whether you keep it or not, I'll make sure that it's kept because you can't stop God. His plan is always fulfilled. And because the people would not join him, they were against him. And being against God always, always leads to judgment. So 2 Chronicles, the end. Look at verse 22 of chapter 36. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. And so, according to the promise of Jeremiah and the specific prophecy of Isaiah, a hundred years before Cyrus was even born, Isaiah the prophet named him by name and said that God would raise up Cyrus to release the people from the captivity. God is keeping his promise. He kept his promise. And so he allowed the people, uh, a remnant, a small number, to go back to Jerusalem. And so go over one, go over one book. You're in Second Chronicles. Go turn one page and you're in Ezra. And that's what the book of Ezra is about. Ezra is about God keeping his promise and having a remnant who would reestablish Jerusalem. So notice this, kind of start flipping through it, just look at some of the headings. What you'll notice, the first thing they did was they built an altar. And then they were supposed to build the temple, but they struggled because of the political persecution that was there. And so God raised up Zechariah and Haggai who preached and, and really pushed the people forward in keeping, in keeping his command. And so by the end of Ezra, go ahead and go to the end of Ezra, what you have are a people who are gathered. They have the altar, they have the temple, but they don't have walls and they're in danger. Now, again, historical perspective here, Cyrus sent the remnant back in 538 BC. It was almost a hundred years later in 445 BC that Nehemiah receives the message that we're seeing in our text today. So you're out of Ezra, If you're at the end of Ezra, go over one page. Now you're in Nehemiah. Now, so what we see happening in Nehemiah, this is almost 100 years, all right? The walls have have not been built. Yes, there is an altar. Yes, there is a temple. It's important to understand what that means. 
There's an altar. That means that there were blood sacrifices that were made for the sins of the people. That means they were saved. There was a temple. That means that there was a place for the people to gather like we are right now as God's people bought with the blood of Jesus. We are gathering. They had a place to gather. But what they didn't have was protection. What they didn't have was was a wall. And so Nehemiah, hearing of this need, understanding the realistic perspective about the true condition of Israel and the people is stirred. And that's what we're going to study over the next few weeks. But I want you to understand, Nehemiah received word. And that word was about the, the reality. It gave him a realistic perspective. Friends, we need a realistic perspective about the world we live in today. And that is succinctly said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Friends, we're facing difficult days. And and let me tell you what the devil's doing. Don't worry about writing this down. I, I, I posted it on social media this morning. The devil's doing three things that we need to understand. First of this, he's confusing us. He's confusing us with lies from our government, from the media, and from the entertainment industry. He is intimidating us with a culture that hates biblical truth and biblical morality and wants it banished from public discussion. And the devil is dividing us. He's dividing us with our own pride as people stake their identity on politics, color of skin, or place in the societal system in which we live. The devil is winning. But God... But God is on the move. God is at work amongst his people, calling us to revival. And a revived people almost always lead to an awakened land. And our text, it gives us that realistic perspective that we need to understand about our own condition that matches the condition of the people in Jerusalem. It's found there in verse 3. I want you to take note of these three things that we see specifically in verse 3. This shared experience but the hope that we have because of God, but God. The first is this. In reality, human beings are vexed by sin, but God can save. But God can save. We are vexed by sin, but God can save. We're born in trouble and shame. Look at what the the people, look in verse three, look at what the people were in. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. We're born in trouble and shame because we're born in sin. Sin vexes our existence. And and the worst thing about sin is the cost. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. But God... But God, but the good news is that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, have you been saved? I'm not asking you, are you a churchgoer? I'm not asking if, if, you, if you made a decision once. I'm asking you, are you saved, present, active, continuing on. Not something that that, that you talk about way back then. I'm talking about now. Are you saved? See, in order to be saved, it's real simple. See, you have to understand that this world is not God's design. The brokenness we're experiencing is not God's design. That comes because of sin. 
And the only way we can be saved is we've got to repent. We've got to turn away from trusting ourselves and trusting any other created thing. And we've got to believe that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins, that he has been raised. And if we will believe in him, we can pursue and recover God's design. And that is a way of life, pursuing and recovering God's design. Let me ask you, those of you who say you're saved, are you pursuing and recovering God's design? Are you living every day of your life in the light of his glory and grace? Each month on the second Sunday at Living Hope, we take time to remember his glory and grace and we receive the Lord's Supper. This is a time for believers. If you have repented and believed in the gospel of Jesus, if you don't mind, go ahead and take the packet that's there in front of you. There are two elements there. You access the, the top one uh, with a clear plastic. That, that is the wafer. And then the purple one will make available to us the juice. Now, let's talk about what these are symbols of. Remember, God took on flesh, became one of us so that we could become like him. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. If we've repented and believed the gospel, then we have been saved. And the object of our faith that saves us is Jesus Christ, the one who we're gonna remember right now. God in flesh who shed his blood to pay for our sin. Friends, the blessing, the thriving comes by walking in obedience to him. If you would, bow your heads where you are, close your eyes. And right now, invite the Holy Spirit to show you, is there any way in which you are not being and living in obedience to God? Is there an attitude? Is there an action? Is there a lack of obedience in your life? Something you know you're called to do, but you've just not done it. You just won't do it. Right now, repent. Right now, commit yourself to obedience. Right now, tell the Lord God that he is your savior and you're gonna live in obedience to him. You're gonna walk in his truth and his way. Father God, we thank you for, for saving us. Jesus, thank you for dying for our sin, for the power of the resurrection that gives us new life and Holy Spirit for guiding us in truth. Help us now, even now as we receive these elements. If you would, take the, take the wafer out. And remember what this is a symbol of. This is symbolic of the body of Christ. Hours before Jesus died on the cross for our sin, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body. After the meal, he took the cup. He said, drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus, you are God. You became man. You lived a holy life. You died for our sin. Your blood has been shed to pay for our sin. And now we're saved. And we thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Lord Jesus. If you don't mind, let's put on our masks. Let's stand together. Let's praise Jesus. Lord Jesus, we are so limited in our understanding of the depth of our sin. 
and the power of that moment when you cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we are grateful, Lord. We are grateful for what you have done and for who you are, for what you're doing and what you're going to do. Thank you for the victory we have over sin because of your power and presence. Bless us, Lord, to live in the freedom that you give. In Christ's name, amen. If you would be seated, and let's get back to to Nehemiah chapter 1. Not only does sin vex us, and even though we have trusted in Christ, and there is victory over the power and punishment of, of sin, we're still vulnerable. So long as we live in this broken world, so long as we live in the flesh, and write down this note, in reality, human beings are vulnerable to sin, but God... But God can protect. Not only were the people in great trouble and shame, but the wall of Jerusalem was broken down. Walls are used to keep enemies out. And again, although we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, that that doesn't mean that 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 natural inclination towards sin is just going to go away. No, no, no. we're going to have to build a wall of faithfulness that will withstand the devil. See, the devil cannot control us. The devil cannot have us for eternity, but it is doing all it can to deceive us. And there are in this world antichrists. First uh, John speaks of not just antichrist. We know that is the evil one, but there are antichrists, those who are seeking to deceive. Second John 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver, deceiver and the antichrist. Friends, we are all vulnerable to sin, but God, but God can protect us. 1 John 5, 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. That is Christ Jesus, this one born of God, protects him and the evil one does not touch him. As Christians, We don't live in sin and struggle with righteousness. We live in righteousness and struggle against sin. There's a big difference there. There's a big difference. When when we are in Christ, we are made righteous. We live in righteousness, but we every day we have to battle against sin. And it's easy to get overwhelmed, but God, but God has promised, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overcome you, has overtaken you, that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it friends we can't be passive we we can't just say oh you know it's just a bad habit oh this is it's just something i do it's just you know i lose my temper sometimes oh you know it's just that's just you know i just like things like that you know that's just my natural inclination you know i was born this way friends we were all born sinners but by the grace of God, we're saved. And in that salvation, we we have this this ability to join with the work that God is doing. And we're not the only ones. We're We're not the first generation to have to deal with a culture of lies. We're not the first generation that had to deal with an an onslaught of sin attacking and and such sensuality and the the sickness of of a depraved society. Friends, Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we we have many who have gone before us for millennia who have stood for the Lord. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
looking to Jesus. Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Remember, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Friends, we need to look at those who've gone before us and see how they battled and won. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and we need to let him as our defender stay in front of us. You know, one of the, one of the mistakes football players make, specifically quarterbacks and running backs, is they get outside of their protection. You, you see it all the time. What happens all the time, you know, you see these huge, wonderful, glorious linemen and they are glorious and wonderful and they should be praised more. Can I get an amen from a few linemen? Yes, there's a couple of them. Quarterback drops back. These big boys create what is called a pocket. But you know what some of these quarterbacks do? They get scared. And they start running outside the pocket. They get outside of their protection. Same with running backs. These linemen, they are pushing people out of the way. You know what those linemen, the smart uh, linemen do? They, They see and they know what to do. And the best running backs are the ones who stay behind their protection before they break free. See, there's progressives. There's these progressives. They want to get out ahead of Jesus. They want to get out ahead of the blocking. And they think they can do it on their own, that they can create this new glorious culture that goes against what the protection demands. Friends, they are not progressives. They are regressives. They're going back to a sinful nature that destroys society. The wise are those who walk in the way of Christ who stay behind our blocker, who stay within the protection of his great grace and his glorious name. And he protects us. Not only does God protect us, but he gives us, he gives us a new desire, a different desire concerning sin. Write this down. In reality, human beings are valuers of sin. That is, we prefer sin by nature. We, 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 you know, not are we vulnerable to it, but We're vulnerable to it because we value it. God God determined, he is determined to to give us a new desire. Look at what was going on with with the people in Jerusalem. The end of verse three, the gates. The gates were destroyed by fire. Gates determine what gets in and out. Without the ability to determine what gets in and out, without any kind of filter, without any kind of discernment, we're just going to let anything get in. And we'll just let anything get out. You know, right now, there's a lot of people, and I, I, you know, I'm in that group. You know, we, we, gotta, we need a gate over our mouth right now, right? The holidays were hard on us. And so right now, we're trying to figure out, okay, what do I need to do to stop the rapid expansion of this temple God gave me? And what that is means is there's got to be a diet. There's got to be a change over what comes into this. And many of you, you're, you struggle with this. I get it. I'm with you. I know. Here's what's really going on. Is we desire more of the comfort in the moment than we do the long-term effect of health that comes through choosing what is best. So often we think the, the enemy, the greatest enemy of, of best is what's wrong. No, no, the greatest enemy of best is what is good. It's often easy to know what's bad. 
What's difficult is to discern, you know, this isn't, this isn't totally bad. It's good. But is it best? God in his word reveals to us what is best. We've got to, we've got to not only, you know, be able to stop what's going on. We've got to be able to do what is, what is right. We've got to be able to ascertain, discern that. You know, I always knew when my father-in-law was on a diet, because when we go to his house, there would be a picture of him on the refrigerator when, when he was overweight, extremely overweight. And there would be a, a caption above his head that said, get out of that fridge, fat boy. What's he's doing there? He's building a gate. He's saying, come on now. We need to be mindful of what's going on. We've got we to join in. We've got to make the right decisions here. What God does is he changes our desires by the Holy Spirit. And that new heart, that new desire, it enables us to choose what is best so that we can, we can thrive. Thriving is best. Again, what is thriving? Thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with God and the contentment to obey God's commands while trusting outcomes to God's capable care. God has blessed us with the Holy Spirit to transform our desires. So we desire to thrive. Second Corinthians 3. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit frees us to choose what is best. And what is best is obedience to God's word. What is best is an intimate relationship with God. Not, not just a going to church religion. Not just a, you know, trying to do my best. No, no, an intimate relationship with the living God so that we obey his commands and simply trust the outcomes into his capable care. And friends, when we're thriving, when we're thriving, we shine as light. And as that light we get the word out because here's what's happening in our world right now. There's so many people that don't understand reality. There's so many people who think that the, the problem in our world today is a physical problem. Friends, the problem in our world today is a spiritual problem. And the only answer is a spiritual answer. And we've got to get the word out. We've got to make people aware. So write this down and remember it. We need to get the word out. In, in verses one and two in Nehemiah, look at what Hananiah was doing. Hananiah was getting the word out. He got the word to Nehemiah and then Nehemiah has now gotten the word out to us. The word is we're in trouble. These are difficult days. What's the good news? What's the gospel? God has come to save and in Jesus Christ, we can have a new life. And we need to let people know that. We need to spread this word. We are to impact our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. Friends, our hope is not found in the government. It's not found in a political party or a person. It's not found in the color of our skin. It's not found in the amount of uh, the, the numbers in our bank accounts. Listen, all those things are a part of life, but they're not life. Jesus Christ is life. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let's bow our heads together.
Father God, I, I can't help but know that there's some in this room right now. They, they're not looking to you, Jesus. They're, they're looking to, to the world for their solution, to, to make them happy, to, to fill them with, with what it is they, they're, they're longing for. But God, you, you have the power. You have the power to save. So I pray right now that there are some who in their hearts would choose to be saved, that in their hearts right now, they would pray to you and say to you, God, I've sinned, but I know Jesus died for my sin. Please forgive me. Take my life. And Lord, I can't help but know there's some brothers and sisters who are here today who are, who are struggling with anxiety and anger, fear, overwhelmed. Help us, Lord, to turn our eyes to you. Right now, would you hear them as they pray? If you're struggling, let the Lord know. Tell him, tell him what you're afraid of. Tell him what you're angry about. Ask for his help. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. Jesus, you are so wonderful. Let's quietly, let's stand to our feet. Let's sing.